This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles go this evening to Mark chapter number 9. We'll begin reading in verse number 38, Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 38. We're looking uh, at verses 30 through 50. We began this morning looking at this section, and uh, we've titled this Dangers Along the Road of Discipleship. Dangers Along the Road of Discipleship. And these dangers grow out of a heart filled with pride. And we understand that pride is the original sin. Pride is something that we all deal with, and it is a great danger to our lives if we do not identify it and learn to deal with it. The way in which we deal with pride is by humbling ourselves. And we must, uh, in a continuous process, seek to Uh, be people who are humble before the Lord. We come to verse number 38. The Bible says, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which should do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water or drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now, as we look at these verses in verse number 30 through verse number 50, we identified this morning in the introduction of the message three dangers that the Lord Jesus Christ warns his disciples about in these verses. The first one we looked at this morning in detail was the danger of division, the danger of division. Remember the dispute that uh, they were carried away with along the way? The Bible says in verse 34, This is, by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And so here they are concerned about their position concerning uh, uh, the kingdom and and what role they would have and and what influence and what power they would have. And we must remember that that was a thought that was ingrained into their mind. It was a, a thought that permeated the religion of the Jews at that day. The Lord Jesus spoke of the scribes and the Pharisees and how that they, uh, they longed for the chief seats. They longed uh, for the recognition of men to be honored. Uh, they, they were very pious and outwardly pious in an effort to receive the acknowledgement of men. And so this is something that was ingrained in their cultural thinking, that they should be people of honor. 
And as the Lord Jesus is teaching them about his kingdom, and in particular now about his death and resurrection, we find that they keep missing the point. The reason they keep missing the point is because they're consumed with thoughts regarding their own position and their own status. And so the Lord warns them about this division because we understand that if we're going to be effective, we have to be united. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to find that as long as the church was united, the power of the Holy Ghost was working prominently in that church. The thing that threatened its power was division that came. And we find that uh, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 13 and verse 10, only by pride cometh contention. And so when there's division in a church among God's people, it is because we are lifted up in pride. And so may the Lord help us to learn uh, this lesson concerning pride. And then we saw, secondly, and we're going to look at it tonight, the second danger is the danger of exclusion. We read that in verses 38 through 42. And then the final danger, which God willing we'll look at next Sunday, is the danger of corruption. But here this evening we're looking at this danger of exclusion, exclusion. And we find out that as Christians with a particular identity, we live in a world and a nation filled with identities among Christians. There are denominational identities. There are doctrinal identities. Uh, we as a church are a, are a church that is known as an independent Baptist church. Baptist in our doctrine, independent, meaning that we are a church that is autonomous. We are not associated or affiliated with any other church. We are an independent church. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and therefore we do not belong to a denominational system. We do not belong to a fellowship of churches. There's no hierarchy. Uh, there's no administrative group uh, that has any authority over this church. We believe that we answer to the Lord, and therefore we are an independent Baptist church. Now, I will tell you that though we are an independent Baptist church, and though there are many independent Baptist churches, I will say that there are many independent Baptists who, though they would deny the fact that they are a part of a denomination, definitely operate as if they are a part of a denomination and uh, that answers to one another. But we believe that we answer to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is our position. We understand that <clears throat> there are many churches that are Baptists different denominational affiliations. The Southern Baptist Convention is one that comes to our mind. We understand that in our community, we have a number of Lutheran churches. And even among the Lutheran churches, there are different groups. There is a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, and then there are the ELCA Lutheran churches. And uh, they all have a little bit of a different opinion, or at least those two groups have a difference of opinion. And uh, we understand that we have other churches in our town. And so there is an identity 
that churches have and Christians have uh, in this world in which we live. My prayer for my life, and I pray for our church, is that we would be identified as a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church where Christ is preeminent and his word is our ultimate authority. I'm glad that our church is independent. I'm glad that we're Baptist in doctrine. I believe that is a correct position biblically. That Baptist doctrine grows out of the teachings of the apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And we believe that we're endeavoring to be consistent with the doctrinal teaching, and our position is consistent with the doctrinal teaching of the Word of God. I'm very thankful for that. But there is a danger in that, and here is the danger, that we would seek to be identified primarily by the group that we're affiliated with and not to be identified by our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a great danger here that uh, we would become uh, exclusive in our position. In other words, we are the people who have the right position. We are the only people who have the right position. And therefore, if you want to be right with God or you want to serve God, then you must align with us. And that is definitely the spirit of the disciples here. And notice what John says. Now, remember what the Lord Jesus said in verse 37. He took this child in verse 36 and set him in the midst, and then he took the child up in his arms. And here we saw that powerful picture uh, concerning the fact that we are not to be divided, that we're to receive all of God's children. And so he says in verse 37, Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So we find that our response toward other believers is indicative of our relationship with Christ. And if we are not willing to receive other believers, then we're not willing to receive the Lord Jesus and ultimately to receive the Father. Now, John answers the Lord in the context or in immediate response to that statement. And notice what he says here in verse 38. And John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. Notice this, please. And he followeth not who? He followeth not who? He did not say he followeth not you. Lord, he followeth not us. What bothered John? What bothered the disciples? It was not that this man did not follow Jesus. There's no indication made that they thought that he did not follow Jesus. The indication is that he did not follow them. Notice as he goes on, and we forbade him because he followeth not who? Us. And so here we find this, this danger of exclusion. He followeth not us, and we forbade him. Now, a few thoughts come to my mind concerning the disciples' response, and uh, I just want to give them to you. They're not the main points of the message, but they're just some thoughts that 
come to me immediately upon hearing John's response to the Lord Jesus' admonition to receive one another. And so, notice before I give you those thoughts, look at verse 39, but Jesus said, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. And so we find that this is a man that is doing a work, a miracle in the name of Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is correcting here the disciples' thinking and John's thinking on this matter. Now, let me just give you a few thoughts that you might want to write down, and then we'll get into the heart of the message. Why would they have responded the way they did in forbidding him? Well, I think, first of all, you have to acknowledge that recently, in the context of this story, recently they themselves had failed to do what? Cast a demon out. Remember the boy, the man comes to the disciples and he says, do something, please help us. And the disciples are not able to cast out the devil. It's in this ninth chapter. And so the Lord Jesus uh, rebukes the disciples for their faithlessness. And then he casts the devil out. And they said to him later, Lord, why could we not cast him out? And he said, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. And so here's a point where they failed, but someone else succeeded. They failed, and someone else succeeded. And that breeds jealousy, doesn't it? Jealousy. So I think it's, it's, not, unreasonable, it's not unreasonable for us to conclude that there was jealousy involved in this spirit of exclusion from the disciples. Their, their, their church is bigger than ours. Uh, they're getting results and we're not. They're seeing people saved and we're not. Uh, their ministry is growing and ours isn't. And so jealousy. A second thing we note here is that they presumed, they presumed that since he was not a member of their group, that he should not be able to do a miracle in Jesus' name. They presume that, well, since he's not a part of us, therefore he, he should not be able to do a miracle in the name of Jesus. I was talking to a lady recently who told me how she got saved. Uh, she grew up in a home where there was some Christian teaching, but she did not understand or hear the gospel, and she told me that as she listened to Pat Robertson on television, Pat Robertson gave the gospel, and she became a Christian. Now, there's no secret that Pat Robertson and I and our church would not line up together. Much of what Pat Robertson would have to say in his position on the gifts of the Spirit, the apostolic gifts, uh, would not be in agreement. But here's what I would, I would know is that if Pat Robertson spoke the way of salvation and someone heard the message, understood their need for Jesus, and repented of their sin and turned to Jesus and, and became a Christian, then I would say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Over the years, uh, Billy Graham received a lot of uh, criticism, and I certainly uh, would not agree with every decision that Billy Graham made, but here's what I would tell you, that Billy Graham preached the gospel 
to multitudes of people who came to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And I can rejoice in that. And uh, I don't have to agree with everything everybody says to understand that they know the Lord and that God can use them. And we, we, we put ourselves in a very dangerous position when we presume that the only people God can use are the people who are just like us. And so they recently failed to cast out a demon. And uh, this man had been successful in casting out demons, so there was jealousy there. There was presumption there. They presumed that since he was not a member of their group that he should not do a miracle in Jesus' name. A third thought that comes to my mind is that they were very narrow in their ministry perspective, thinking that God's work was limited to them. They were very narrow in their ministry perspective, thinking that God's work was limited to them. Now they meet a man who is casting out devils in Jesus' name. You know, I, I can't help but think of the maniac of Gadara. You remember him? He's in Mark chapter number 5. He's a man who is inhabited by a legion of demons. Nobody can help him. They can't tame him. They can't chain him. They, 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 can't, they can't help him recover through therapy and counseling. There's nothing anybody can do for him until he meets Jesus. And Jesus casts the devils out of him. And no longer is he running naked through the tombs, howling and screaming and cutting himself. Now they found him seated in his right mind at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed. And the man says, I want to go follow you. Do you remember what Jesus told him? He said, no, i tell you what you need to do. You need to go home, and you need to tell your family, and you need to tell your friends, and the region was Decapolis, about the great things that God has done for you. Now, what do you think that man did the rest of his life? I'm telling you, he went around telling people that Jesus can deliver you from demons. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know that this is the man. I, I don't think it is the man, but I think it, it's not too far-fetched to imagine that this could have been the man or somebody much like him that is in this position now to say, he cast the devil out of me. I'm going to cast the devil out, not in my power, not in my authority, but in his. And when the disciples saw that, it, it, it sort of it, it just blew up their whole thought that everything that God was doing, was doing, he was doing through them. And we need to understand God is not limited by us, is he? He's not limited by us. There's a fourth thought that comes to my mind, and it is this. They were protective of their position. We're the disciples. We're the 12. We're the ones following Jesus. If the people want to get to Jesus, they know they got to go through us. And so the, their, their significance is found in their position, and they're protective of their position, and they're threatened by others outside of their group who ministered in behalf of and in the name of Jesus. They didn't want to lose their place. All of this, of course, is uh, things that have at the very heart of it our pride, our pride. And so their attitude and their response to other believers uh, who were engaged in ministry apart from 
their group was indicative of a spirit of pride in their hearts. On the other side of that coin, our response toward people who are not in our group, if it is one of uh, kindness and warmth and, and, and generosity and Christian love and acceptance, that reflects a heart full of humility. And that is what the Lord is trying to teach his disciples here, to humble themselves. Now, I want to give you some thoughts. I hope you'll write them down this evening as we think about this uh, danger of exclusion, how that we can uh, become exclusive by nature. And by the way, that's something that's in all of us, right? Uh, people want to belong to some exclusive club. The church is not an exclusive club. You know, you might belong to a country club, for example, and uh, you have to be a member to, to, to participate in the activities of the club. But we find that the church of Jesus Christ is not an exclusive club. The Lord Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. He said, whosoever will, let him come to me. And so may God help us as his ambassadors to be delivered from this exclusive mindset, to think that we're the only people who know God, we're the only people who believe the Bible the way it ought to be believed, we're the only people who preach it and teach it the way it ought to be preached and taught. Now, we might be doing it, and I believe we're endeavoring to do it, as truthfully and as faithfully as we can in accordance to God's word. But we're not the only people that God can use. And so may the Lord help us. Let me just give you some thoughts you, you might write down as we go through this text. Number one, do not restrict other believers. That's what he has to say to them. Do not restrict other believers. Remember what John said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, no, no. That's not what I want you to do. Forbid him not. Do not restrict. Do not hinder. Do not stop. Do not cut off other people who believe in me, who are my children, who are doing works in my name. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name. So here's what we know. We know this man was casting out devils in the name of Jesus. He said there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. That means to, to carelessly, to flippantly, uh, off the cuff or in, in some uh, hurried way say something uh, without thought to speak evil of me. And so he says here, verse number 40, for he that is not against us is on our part. Here's what he's saying to those disciples. They may not have as much truth as you. They may not know the things that you know, but here's what we do know. They believe in me. They're doing miracles in my name. They're speaking of me. I'm blessing them. I am using them, and therefore they are not against us. They are for us. Do not restrict other believers. <clears throat> Their test of fellowship and mutual acceptance was based on another man's relationship to them when it should have been based upon 
that man's relationship to the Lord. Now, we do this, don't we? In our independent Baptist circles, we do this. That guy went to, uh, he went to Pensacola. He said, what's that? That's a Bible college. Or that guy, he went to Crown. That's a Bible college. You got to watch those guys from Crown. Yeah. It's the first one I've ever gotten from that guy. Somebody said amen. I don't know who said it. I'm just kidding. I think I know who said it now. Now, th that, that guy went to Bob Jones. You've got to watch that guy. And so, Bob, we're watching you. Now, that guy went to Hiles Anderson. You see, we, we've, we, 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 we've made a big mistake. It's not that we have Bible colleges and institutions to train young people. It's that we've begun to identify people by where they went to school rather than by who they know and by what they're doing. And among independent Baptist circles, you have different, uh, the word that is often used is camps. It may not make a lot of sense to you, but there are different groups and different philosophies of ministry and different styles of worship. Some people like to shout and run the aisles and say amen, and I say hallelujah. Some people don't like to do that at all, and, you know, you couldn't get a grunt out of them. I'm telling you, if the, if the, if the rapture trumpet was to blow, I don't think they'd make a move. <laughs> and so you have the entire spectrum in between, the entire spectrum. And if we're not careful, here's what we do. We judge one another according to those things. And we say, well, that crowd, you know, they're this and that crowd. That crowd's shallow and emotional, and, and that crowd's starchy and stiff. And if we're not careful, it becomes about our crowd and not about Jesus. I think we ought to have freedom to worship the Lord, don't you? I think people ought to be able to express themselves. The Bible says lifting up holy hands. I'm not trying to promote any type of atmosphere. I just want the Holy Spirit to lead, and I want people to be free. We don't want to be disruptive. We don't want to distract people from the Lord. But we also want to have freedom to worship God. It's good to say amen every once in a while, you know. The pulpit becomes a lonely place sometimes. And it's good to say amen. That lets me know that you're alive, that you're listening, and, and, and uh, you're bearing with me, and I appreciate that. But when people are singing and God's presence is being manifested, it, it's encouraging to see people acknowledge that in some way. And it's, it's, it's great. It's wonderful to see people worship the Lord. But we don't all do it the same way. When I went to church in Togo, Africa, or when I went to church in India, the services are different. They're affected by the culture. Do you know the worst thing I could ever do to the churches in Togo, Africa, is try to Americanize them? Uh, when I went to preach in India, Dr. Cherian said to me, he said, try to avoid the colloquialisms of American fundamentalism. 
Our people don't understand that. You know what I said? Praise God. All we need to do is preach the Bible. But we, we have to be careful because what happens to us is we become very judgmental and critical of people who don't think exactly the way we think, who don't do everything exactly the way we do it. And so the test of the fellowship should not be the acceptance of a man's position, but the fact that that man has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord gives the word of clarity here, doesn't he? Look again in verse 39. Forbid him not, for there's no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. He may not line up with everything. He may not be right in every position, but if he's doing a work of God, if he's bringing people to the Lord, he can't lightly speak evil of me. Therefore, he is not against me, and he's not against you. He is for us. I remember the words that the Lord said to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and verse 18. Remember, Elijah said, I'm the only one left, Lord. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way we feel, isn't it? That's independent Baptist syndrome. We're the only ones left, Lord. We're the only ones that believe the Bible. <laughs> We're the only ones that care about souls. We're the only ones who want to send missionaries. <laughs> We're the only ones. Trying to hold the line. And the Lord said to Elijah, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Elijah said, well, I don't know them. The Lord said, it doesn't matter if you don't. They're out there. They belong to me. They don't belong to you. They belong to me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to receive them. I want you to love them. I want you to encourage them and help them. The family of God is larger and more diverse than we know or even imagine it to be. And so number one, do not restrict other believers. Number two, instead, refresh other believers. Refresh them. Notice verse 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Now, he's talking about giving a cup of water. If you give a cup of water, you'll not lose your reward. But who in particular is he speaking about giving the water to? I think that's important for us to note here. It's not that we shouldn't be willing to give a cup of water to anyone who is thirsty. But notice what he says here. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ. In other words, if another believer gives you a cup of water in my name because they know you to be a believer, then he says he shall not lose his reward. So instead of restricting other believers, we are to refresh other believers. What does water do? Water refreshes us. Water replenishes us. And so here we find the picture is of a servant who gives a cup of water 
to drink in the name of the Lord, and he gives that cup to someone who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a symbol of refreshing. And notice what he says about those who will refresh other believers, not restrict them, but refresh them. Notice what he says. He says they will not lose the reward. If you will be a blessing to other Christians, God has promised that you will not lose your reward. Whatever you can do, you say, well, I'm going to give $5 to the college students. I'm going to take five minutes and pray for them. Do you know what you're doing? You're, you're, you're helping encourage them. You're not restricting them. You're refreshing them by letting them know that God is thinking about them and you're thinking about them, and you're going to do something to encourage them. And so may the Lord help us to do this. Number one, do not restrict other believers. Number two, instead refresh other believers. And number three, finally, reinforce other believers. Look at verse 42. Reinforce them. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Now we know he's not just speaking in particular of little children here. He is using the picture of a little child to speak of the family of God and those who believe on the Lord Jesus. And so he says, these little ones that believe in me, there's the qualifying statement that identifies who the little ones are. They're believers in the Lord. And so he says in verse 42, concerning those little ones, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now, in the Roman world, uh, there were certain crimes that would be punishable this way. They would take a millstone, a very heavy stone, and they would tie a man to it, tethered by his neck to this rope, throw him into the water, into the deep, the weight of the stone would take him to the bottom, and there he would drown. There his body would remain suspended in the waters. It's not a very good picture, is it? It's not a very pleasant picture. Nobody wanted their life to end that way. And so the Lord gives this warning, do not offend these little ones. Do not offend my children the word offend here means to cause to stumble. We live in a world where everybody's offended, right? We need safe spaces for everybody today. But this word offend means to cause to stumble. It means to, 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 to lead people uh, to stumble in their relationship with the Lord. It means in this context to resist them in such a way that it would hinder them in the work of God and it would hurt their relationship with the Lord because of our actions. Now, here's the warning for us. We do not need to be Christians who cause people to stumble. No, we need to be Christians who reinforce believers and strengthen them in their faith. And we need to be very careful because in some of our positions and some of our attitudes, 
when we're not full of grace, we can do a lot of damage to a lot of fragile young Christians. And it's unnecessary. And so the Lord is warning his disciples very sternly with a very vivid picture that God does not just lightly look over Christians who unnecessarily are harsh and unkind and cause younger believers, I'm not talking about younger in age, I'm talking about younger in the stage of their Christian life to stumble because of their attitudes. And we certainly know many cases where that has happened. And if that has happened to you, let me just say this to you. The grace of God is sufficient, is it not? I, I mean, uh, and I hear a lot of bitter Christians who got hurt, and they just don't want to get over it. It's not that they couldn't get over it. They don't want to get over it. They want to nurse that hurt. They, they want to keep it like a little pet, a, a security blanket. And, and they like to bring it up oftentimes to let everybody know how terrible they have it. Let me tell you, the grace of God is sufficient. Nobody will ever offend you to the level that you have offended the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he loves you and he forgave you. And he said in his word, if I've forgiven you, then you should forgive your brothers and sisters. And so if you've been offended and you've been hurt, then if you're going to be the Christian you ought to be, then you must forgive them. You say, well, I find that hard to do. Well, join the club. That's why we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's why the grace of God has to permeate our lives. And when the devil brings up all those old things that happened to us, that's when we have to take the devil back to the cross of Calvary and extend grace. But on the other side of that coin, we can do damage to young Christians, young believers, and hinder them in the work of God when we do not respond to them, when we hinder them, and when we cause them to stumble. And the Lord said, that's not acceptable. Therefore, you are to reinforce them. I want to close with an illustration. I want you to look with me in the, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 18. Acts chapter number 18. Aquila and Priscilla, what a couple they were. Married couple who gave their lives to serve the Lord. Uh, we know that they opened their home uh, to a church. There was a church meeting in their home. We know that they were traveling companions with the Apostle Paul. They left their home to go to another place to help establish a church. Paul labored with them. These were young people we imagine them to be, who knew the Lord, who in their marriage understood the mission that God had given them, and that was to glorify him. And so what a, what a wonderful example they are uh, to young couples and to the church as a whole. In Acts chapter number 18, there's a man named Apollos who comes through. And uh, we see that they're in Ephesus now. In Acts 18 and verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, and an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. 
So here's Apollos. He is a, he is a man mighty in the Scriptures, and he is eloquent. I mean, he can, he can speak and he can preach very powerfully, and he's very convincing. Verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. The baptism of John was the baptism of repentance to prepare the way for the Lord. And so here we find this man, he's very fervent, he's very effective, he's a diligent teacher, he knows the Scripture, but he only knows the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they said, you're not from our school. They said, you're not from our camp. They said, we don't like the message you're preaching. Is that what they said? They said, let's write this guy off. He's not one of us. Is that what they said? Oh, what did they do, church? Look at it, please. Verse 25, and they took him where? Unto them. You see the picture? You see the baby in the middle of the disciples? The little child? Imagine his name is Apollos. Aquila and Priscilla took him unto them. Do you know what God's people need to do? We need to, we need to find some people out here. And by the way, our world's confused, isn't it? Christians are confused, aren't they? Instead of writing them off and discounting them, why don't we decide to take them unto ourselves? Take an interest in them. Well, these young couples, they're not faithful. Well, I agree with you. A lot of them aren't. But guess what you need to do? You need to take them unto yourself. Some of these kids are really struggling. <laughs> Maybe so. You know what you need to do? You need to take them unto yourself. My neighbor, he just doesn't get it. I'm telling you, he's in that church, and they don't preach the gospel down there. I don't know what's, hey, take him under yourself. That's what they did. They received them. They said, we want you to know we, we, we love you. We're interested in you. We see God's hand upon your life. And so they took him unto them. Now notice what they did. Would you read the next word with me? And expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You know what they did? They said, hey, let's, let me show you some things in the Bible. Let, let, let me show you a few things. They say, now let, let me tell you something, Apollos. Your doctrine is a mess. You need to get right. You need to get into an independent Baptist church. We don't like your hymn book. We don't like anything about you're doing down there, Apollos. You need to get things straightened out. No, that's not what they did. They took Apollos unto themselves, and they said, Apollos, let's show you from the Word of God. Do you know why I think sometimes we cause so many people to stumble? It's because we rant and rave rather than teach people the truth of God's Word. We would accomplish far more teaching people the truth of God's Word with a, love, a spirit of love and humility than we ever will ranting and raving, trying to get everybody to follow us. By the way, if you haven't learned that yet, just bear along with your kids and you'll figure that out. 
They expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to do what? To do what, church? To receive him. Don't exclude this guy. Oh, that's the guy that only knows the baptism of John. No, no, no. We've, we've, we've taken him unto ourselves. We've expanded, expounded unto him the word of God more perfectly. He received it. He is growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Receive him. Receive him. Now, look, let's don't, let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. We're not talking about doctrinal compromise. We're not talking about essential things. You see, we're talking about people who believe in the Lord and who believe the Bible and are open and, and obedient to the Scriptures. That's what we're talking about here. But they may not know or they may see things. And by the way, there are good people who love God, who are on their way to heaven, who do not agree with us on every position. I met a man one day, and he told me his testimony powerful testimony vividly clear testimony i said that's amazing i said where do you go to church and he said such and such catholic church i have to be honest with you my jaw dropped hopefully it wasn't too obvious this man gave a clear presentation of a gospel testimony and witness as he testified to me how he got saved. But then he told me he went to a church that doesn't believe the testimony that he delivered to me, that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Now, you may not know Catholic doctrine, but the Catholics do not believe that. That is their official position. But I thought to myself, hey, you can't always judge a book by its cover, can you? Here's a man who's going to heaven, knows God if what he said is true, but he attends a Catholic church. Now, how should I respond to that man? I, I should try to help him, right? I said, hey, I should say, hey, come to our church. Come to my Sunday school class. Come to a Bible study. Come on a Wednesday night, and, and let's study the Bible together. Let's find common ground, and let's try to help that person. God has a family of people that we don't know about. And so may the Lord help us. Aquila and Priscilla expounded unto him the word of God more perfectly. Now, just as there is a reward for all who refresh God's servants, there is retribution for those who offend God's children. And he tells us that. That's why he gives us such a stern warning. So in closing, let me read Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another. That's what we're to do as Christians. We're to consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works. Do you know what pride will do to a disciple? It will cause him unnecessary divisions, and it will cause him to be exclusive in nature. And may God help us as a church. May God help us to be warm and receptive and humble and kind and loving and deliver the truth in a loving spirit. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. 
we pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.